ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Everybody, Brian David Marshall here with Zvi Moshowitz, the Magic the Gathering Hall of Famer, and uh, that means it's time for another episode of Top Eight Magic. And uh, Zvi, we're gonna take the temperature of standard. What is the temperature right now? Post bannings, uh, a week before the Mythic Championship. If you can't stand the heat, you might want to keep your cats out of the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is the current temperature to cook? It's it is Thanksgiving Eve. So, you know, people want to know whether or not you should spatchcock your kittens or brine them or stuff them. I think not stuffed, but... Not stuffed. I I think the key is getting the cat (laughs) into the oven. They're going to fight you. I just had to get my cat to the vet yesterday, and that was almost impossible. So I have no idea how people are just getting these cats to go in the oven time and time again in standard right now. The cat comes back the very next day. It has nine lives. (laughs) Yeah. so, so, so the cat deck, so it's funny, I, when we were, last time I did the podcast, I did the podcast with Mike, and he and I were talking about what cards we thought would be banned, uh, and I thought there might be some more cards. I thought Nissa might get thrown onto that list, uh, but I also thought it was possible that Witch's Oven would get banned, and not necessarily because of, like, insane power level, but just because it's such a drain on tournament resources, right? It's such a mechanical deck. And Arena Clex. And Arena Clex, yes. I mean, so I think there's two distinct types of cat decks that we should be talking about, right? Okay. There's the cat decks that play green for Trail of Crumbs and Gilded Goose, mm-hmm. and the cat decks that just use Black Sacrifice style engines and happen to play Witches Sure, Island, oh sure. Black, R- Racto Sacrifice. So the, the straight black and red black decks, which have proven to be just not good enough right now. Right. Um, I think they're fine. I think that you have to do a few clicks, but fundamentally, people are going to die. Creatures going to die. You're playing reasonable magic. I think those decks being decent decks is mostly good for the game. It's annoying that you get to brick wall giant permanents this cheaply, but lots of messed up magic cards running around. This can be one of them. It's fine. The Trail of Crumbs stuff is unacceptable. Um, so... Like everyone else, I had my opinion about what should happen. Right. Uh, I messaged somebody who could reach the right people, and I said, I'd like, you know, you have to ban Oko, obviously. You, you're banning Vale. We all know you're banning Vale, and I'm supportive. I think you got to ban Gilded Goose. And once upon a time, this, I call it superrogatory. Like, I, I wanted to see it gone, but I understood if you couldn't get rid of four cards at once, all in green. Yeah, right. But um, I felt like Goose had to go because it looked like Sacrifice was the best strategy already. It's miserable for operations. And yes, leaving Oko makes it worse, but like, it's kind of scary those decks didn't run Once Upon a Time necessarily because Trail of Crumbs and Once Upon a Time don't mix very well. Right. So, so, so the, what, what's like the, the sort of timeline of this deck, right? Because I know when you were preparing for the Mythic Championship, Sam had some version of the deck. Sam had a precursor to the Niv deck in the sense that he didn't have Niv, but he had Fae of Wishes fires. Okay. Right. 
So he had this monstrosity that he was working on, which is a queer Sam monstrosity <laughs> that he was doing well with. Um, but then he sat down and he said, well, I'm going to play some matches and see if I can actually finish rounds. Mm. And his conclusion was, I'm not sure I can. I don't have enough reps in person in time. Time is running out. And he ended up playing Cavs. And then when his draft on day two went really badly and his record was mediocre, he dropped so he could play the deck at the Grand Prix. Immediately got featured. Immediately played a round that went to time and he went at extra turns. <laughs> against Red Blue. So it was entirely his fault. Like, not that either player was playing slowly, right? His opponent was playing fine. He was playing fine. Just the operations were just so t- t- torturous. You, you just use up more chess. Right. It was no one's fault at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, timeouts are a thing now. I want to match 33 seconds to zero. So when you say fires and fate wishes, it might not be entirely clear to people that this deck also had all the sacrifice elements. Oh, yeah, and no. the cat and right. the Plus oven. Oko, plus Mayhem Devil, <laughs> plus Trail of Crumbs, plus Cat Oven. Just, just why not just do all of the stupid things in the same deck? Right. And now, at that, at that event, at the Mythic Championship, the Sultai cat decks were kind of the best performing decks or the, or the most surprising performing decks it was in an, standard. It did outstandingly well. Small sample size, always a problem. Sure. Element of surprise, always a thing. But it looked like they had what it takes to answer Okonissa. Right. And were just generally strong overall. And in the new world, they are the public enemy. Uh, Jeskai had its day. It's still a very good deck. I think it's still the best deck for the latter. Sure. Uh, the games go three times as fast, and you win most of them. <laughs> uh, but if you're trying to win a major tournament, like MC7, it's just cats are the main thing you should be worried about right now. <clears throat> but as is the problem with cats, the cat's out of the bag. So is there, is that, is that give people an opportunity? Is this a compatible deck. I mean, obviously, uh, I know you've been watching uh, Croakies, I think is... Yes. And you said... He got there, legit. he got there firstest with the mostest, and that guy takes his game seriously. Uh, I just watched him on stream assembling his sideboard, his main deck, getting the ins out, doing all the details. He thinks about the game the way top players think about the game. Like... You know, reminded me of my talks with Bob Meyer back in the day. Just, this guy is the real deal. Okay. Like, he's only been playing for a year. Wow. It's ridiculously impressive how far he's come. He's been on this deck playing nonstop at the top of the ladder for a month in various guises through various colors. So so now he's at green-black because there's not a really a compelling reason to be salty without Oko, right? Yeah, I mean, he's... So if he has one weakness, it's arrogance. It's just... <laughs> You know, overstatement, you know, this kind of just taking everything a bit too far, but knowing how to actually act, like not taking himself too seriously when he does that. So it's mostly fine. Uh, he's act. So the problem is that, like, what do the other cores give you, right? Red gives you Mayhem Devil. How with Mayhem Devil is it dies? Wicked Wolf kills it. Murderous Rider kills it. Titles of War kills it. And it actually stays dead and didn't take anything with it unless you got sacrifice triggers right away. So even though a Mayhem Devil that lives dominates the board, it's not that great. And the pain actually matters. Corvald dies even more, right? Because Corvald, you paid 5-4. You casualties of War Corvald, they better have gotten a bunch of value from it right away. 
if you murderous rider it, same problem. You're paying five for this thing, but that's just not how you dominate a mirror game. So it's just not a worrisome thing. It doesn't solve your problems in the same way. Like the versions that I play of Red don't even run Corval, but maybe they might run one, but I don't I don't like the card very much. Uh, the white version, he popularized it briefly for Furial Absolution and then some sideboard cards. But as we realized that Casualties of War was the best six drop, it turns out that Ethereal Absolution just gets killed itself. So what's the point? Right, just giving your opponent more value for their... Well, for their yeah, I mean, war. there's always that problem of like, well, do I want to kill this or do I want to kill Trail Crumbs? Like, <clears throat> the thing that makes me think that Gilded you know, Goose has to be banned is the thing where they have attacked Paradise Druid and they have a Gilded Goose and you have a Wicked Wolf. <laughs> and you're not sure what to kill. So they've already gotten their value from their one drop. Their two drop, which they have deliberately had to unprotect, is sitting vulnerable. And you're like, I should probably kill the one drop anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. If, if, you're still, if you're still killing it at that stage, then think, think something has gone terribly wrong in the format. Like Yeah, to quote Crokey's from this morning... Uh, the best use of a Wicked Wolf in the Mirror is to kill a Gilded Goose. <laughs> so you can kill basically any creature in the format except another Wicked Wolf. And it's the one drop you want dead. <laughs> that's, that's, it's so funny also. Wicked, Wicked Wolf is a card which feels like it's just really fallen off a cliff a little bit. right? Like Is, is Wicked Wolf still everything it, it was? Like going into the going into the Pro Tour, going into the last Mythic, it feels like it's just less relevant, or maybe just back to sideboards. We no longer there's too many cats, right? And the problem is Wolf kills kills cat, but doesn't it doesn't matter? Cat right. is still alive, and Wicked Wolf blocked by cat, and cat already blocks the thing Wicked Wolf was blocking, and there's no Planeswalker to defend, and there's no Planeswalker to kill, so Wicked Wolf becomes an anti-aggro card rather than just a generally great card, right? I think people are still sleeping on Wicked Wolf right now. Oh, okay. I think that uh, people play way too few Wicked Wolves. Um, I had four copies in basically all of my normal builds of Cat. Like, if you're not doing a serious second sub-theme that just precludes playing Wicked Wolf, I would run four copies. <laughs> um, at least three copies. I think the my, my Jun build, for example, has four Wicked Wolves. Most versions have one. I can see three. Right. I can't see one. That card is just too good. It just beats people. How many did Crokey's register for Mythic Championship 7? Looks like three. Okay. Um, after mocking his chat relentlessly for wanting to cut one <laughs> from his four <laughs> Wicked Wolf builds, similarly, he almost registered three casualties of war, and he was mocking the chat relentlessly for he wanting is, to run less than four casualties he of is, war. He is... Really, the champion for four casualties of war, right? Like that's yeah. that's been like his big campaign through, through yeah. the last couple for of a weeks. while. He almost ended up running three. <laughs> if you watch the video, you'll see the three for a while, and then it comes back to being four. <laughs> and I didn't understand because I'm like, I just went to six. If we visit, right? Yeah, you know, like and, we we and, will talk about this deck for sure. Yeah, not that seriously, but you know, still we'll, we'll have to find out. Um, so I was pretty surprised to see him flirt with cutting one that seriously. Uh, and also I've learned, you know, when, when you're endlessly mock your chat for doing something, it means you're probably, like, 
Someone considering doing it? <laughs> um, yeah, let me, let me sidetrack there. You, so you, you streamed uh, for the uh, Twitch Rivals event. You went 6-0 on day one. Uh, you ran into a mirror day two and kind of yeah, I had, ended a little unceremoniously. Yeah, I had a mirror day one in which I got the right things and won easily. And then there was a mirror day two where I had more consistent build than my opponent. As in, like, they were playing an interact more interaction version and I was playing a Find Your Fires version. Right. So I had a somewhat a moderate edge in the mirror. But it's still going to be 75-25 whoever wins the... The, the die, die roll. Yeah. They won the die roll. All three games were the person who won won because they went first and almost nothing would have mattered. Right. Like, I won game two that way, then he, then they came back and won game three that way. Right. But but the, que- the question I actually want to ask you is, so, I mean, you've pretty much done everything in terms of being a content creator, right? Like, you know, you've, you've, you've done, you were one of the first uh, writers for Magic, you've you know, you've you've been on camera doing deck techs. You, uh, but what what's the experience like for you? Someone who's been with Magic since the mid '90s, what's the experience been like streaming Magic? Like, wh- how did you find that experience? I love streaming as a action, like the actual act of being in front of the computer, chatting with people, watching, playing Magic. That was great. Explaining my stuff. Um, if anything, I just wish I'd had more people who were engaged with the strategic de- detail of what was going on. During Rivals, you can't because there's a delay. Right. So essentially, like, you... And also, it's a serious tournament, so you sh- you'd be cheating to interact with your, with your stream in that way. Uh, during... I did some other streams after that, and if anything, I wish more people had been trying to up the punt counter, <laughs> right? Um, at one point, Stanislaw Sifka said, no, he had lethal on the board. Oh, no. And I'm like, wow, Sifka's watching my stream. And then it's like, oh, yeah, Sifka's right. Because, of course, Sifka's right or he wouldn't have said anything. Um, and, like, I even got raided by Sprasky. So I briefly had a few hundred people oh, cool. watching. Unfortunately, uh, very few of them talked about, like, detail. Like, one thing I love about Reed's stream is that a lot of his viewers have been trained to talk about, like, little detailed decisions and really, really engages really with that content at a very deep level. And so you learn a lot about like just the detailed operations of how to play a game. Interesting. So this is, and, this, and is that like your, what, how do you see your relationship to streaming going forward? Is this something you'll do periodically? Something you're gonna do regularly? So the problem with streaming is there's a lot of fixed costs and a lot of increasing marginal benefit. So uh, thanks to Manu S uh, of Eternal Fame, in hopefully multiple senses, for helping me set up the stream in a reasonable spot. I now have a good microphone. I have the overlay so it looks at Arena. Uh, but there's still a lot of things to do, right? MTG Bot isn't set up properly, isn't set up yet. Uh, the bottom of my screen, my screen is somehow a strange aspect ratio. So getting it to project quite the entire screen is actually a struggle. Okay. Uh, a lot of little other things have to be done. Uh, to get it exactly right, you know, personalizing a bunch of stuff. Um, so there's still a lot of logistical stuff to get through. And also, you know, every time you stream, you pick up followers. Every time you stream, you make people more inclined to look for your stream. Every time you stream, you develop a, a, a community and a base. And so 
you know, if I were to stream for 40 hours, maybe even 50, 60 hours a week, I'm confident I could develop a strong channel, but I have a job. Right. So I can't do that. So we're talking about, you know, maybe I can do something like Tuesday and Thursday mornings from about, you know, 8.30 to 12. Uh, the problem is, you know, how many people will that bring in? How will that go? Uh, and even then, that, that's a pretty big hit to have to do a regular schedule. Right. Like, so far, I've done things I've enjoyed, right? And it helps that I have been the innovator for Desk Guy and then built two decks that collectively everybody agrees are fun as hell. <laughs> Well, let's talk. Let's talk about those. So, if you're if you're looking for something crazy to do, and maybe looking to burn a couple of mythics on cards you don't have on Arena, um, talk to me about your your cat's deck and your fire's deck. And by that, I mean your cat's fire's deck. Yeah, I have a yes. Um, so, oh, I'm sorry, your cat's fire's niv deck. Yes, that deck. <laughs> so I'm hanging around the office, and I'm thinking about various things. And this this deck came out of writing. Is the, is the thing. It came out of a bunch of places. It came out of Sam's original four-color build. It came out of, you know, many other cat builds, including the Emery deck. But it also came out of my writing. I have an article that I'm writing that's already more than double-sized <laughs> uh, about cats. And it's just sort of a My Fires style. Ironic, I know. Uh, just card by card, here are all the cards you could put into a cat deck that makes sense. Here's the advantages and disadvantages, and then like let's see how they go all together. And doing that, when I talk about the mana, I realize. So if you're playing Mayhem Devil, you're playing Fabled Passage. If you're playing Fabled Passage, you're playing Paradise Druid and Gilded Goose. Then one land buys you 13 sources of any color. Of any color. Jeez. So if I wanted to splash a four of color, it's fine. Right. I could definitely do that. So, for example, Ethereal Absolution, if you decide that's a good card, that's pretty easy to get into your deck off of one planes. Right. That would be fine, because you never really want to double activate it. You don't have the eight mana, and right. it doesn't matter. Right. You just want to single activate it, so you just need the one planes. Right. But, you know what else we could do? Because like, the other thing is like sort of the crookies theory that I've understood now is Casualties of War is the best spell for the mirror, and it's targeting against Jeskai, obviously, because you kill their best creature, which costs five, and you kill their fires, and they kill their spyglass, and they have a spyglass, and you knock them back to their castle, or their color, and then just generally, unless you're just dead, they don't recover. Like, they need second fires, and then, even then, it's, like, tricky. You've equaled them on tempo for the turn. And so, I just want to cast this card more often, and more reliably, more than more often, right? Because, like, uh, Crookies considers a once-in-future to sort of get back their casualties of war. They attempt to play more casualties of war. But I want to find casualties when I don't have one, more than I want to, like, pay a bunch of mana to get it back. <laughs> six and then four and then six is a little I, bit much. I like the cut of this guy's jib, let me tell you. Oh, this I'm all about... <laughs> that's, I'm all about getting cards back and using them again for, like, just extra salt rubbing, you know? No, no, no. <laughs> I really admire the amount of, I'm going to figure out what I need to do to win these matches. I'm just going to do it, whatever it takes that he employs. Right. It's a very different approach than my general approach, but it definitely has led to a lot of really cool innovations and some very good results. I tend to be much more of the, what can I do? Let's see what I can do 
approach. And then later, okay, that's what I'm doing. What are my problems? How do I tune that to solve my problems afterwards? And that's definitely where the NIV deck came from, a combination of those two. So it was just, well, if permanents just die, and the only permanent that doesn't die is Wicked Wolf, but it can't attack through a cat, so why do we even bother? Then we just want to find more casualties of war, play permanents that provide immediate value that helps dominate the game, and it feeds into the cat engine. Because like I've, I've been for a while, like 24 lands, could consider 25, but 24 automatically. Three cats, four ovens, four trail, four goose. What's the other half of this deck? And so I was thinking, what if it's Niv? So I was like, okay, it's Niv and Casualties of War. And then I did the search of like every card that this, Niv gets. This isn't the Perum, is it? This is a different Niv. If people th- are thinking maybe Oh, no, this- no, no, no. This is <laughs> Niv Visit Reborn. I can't, I can't cast Niv Visit Perum, nor do I have any reason to. This is Niv Visit Reborn. So this is Wooburg. Right. I, also should, I want to keep ahead on tempo rather than behind on tempo, right? I want to play a 6-6 flyer and find my casualties. 6-6 flyer is a great stat because it at least trades with every creature in Jeskai. And it actually blocks 5-5s five very well, and they have 6-5-5s. Five fives. And 4-4-4s. Four four fours. So 6-6 six six is where it's at, and then it finds you casualties of war. So, like, why play Brontodon? You can just go get a Casualties of War, right? So, I then thought to myself, okay, casting this is a little shaky. Oh, yeah, I can just play Fires. Like, the deck has so much power in it, <laughs> that I can just play these Fires, and then I said, no, three Fires is fine. And, and LSV actually said, you know, three fires is an unusual number of fires to see. <laughs> but the philosophy was, and Sam considered cutting the four fires from his build as well. The philosophy of fires? Yes. Yeah. The philosophy is, this is a deck that existed without fires and then added fires to it when I realized I could cast it and it worked. Right? Because it's the whole, like, I'm going to spend my mana activating troll crumbs and gilded goose and then cast two spells. Right? It's the philosophy of what I'm going to do. Yeah. And now it's also going to fix my color in a meaningful way because I can't necessarily cast an invisit off of five mana. Or alternatively, I'm going to cast an invisit, find the other card, and cast the other card immediately. Right? Even if I'm casting Niv like on turn four with a goose or a paradise druid, I already played the fires, and now I can double cast. And the next turn I do something like, you know, another casualties of war, another Niv visit, you know, eh, whatever. it's all the same. Yeah. So, I've definitely chained Nivs in that deck. Yes. Like you don't love the resident rule, but you don't care. Right? <laughs> Attack of six. <laughs> yeah. Oh, why is he... Oh, right, he's playing another one. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Uh, so yeah, I just... I built this deck kind of out of whole cloth. Uh, the main deck has changed zero cards. Like, I, I looked for other... So like, you, may, you still have the Ethereal Absolution. Yeah, Mayhem Devil is great because like obviously it feeds the engine. You can play it off of the fires immediately when you play the fires. And it's red-black, so it gives you a separate... So you have four red-blacks and four green-blacks. And the three-off solution provides you additional top end of a different color pair to find with your nibs. But the key is everyone who's built Nibs at Reborn decks before has felt the need to try and get like four cards off of this thing. Right. Right? To try and like half my deck is just all different two color pairs. And you don't really need to do that. Right? Because you have a 6-6 six, six flyer. Right. You only pay five you, you, you've built a deck that can get Niv into play. And so got, the rate is great. Right? It's right. a 6-6 six, six flyer for five. That's... You're already... It's fine, right? It's fine if it cantrips. Yes. 
And so the key is, don't just find a bunch of cards. Find the cards that you still need to actually win a game where you resolve the Niv. So if you go Niv into Casualties of War, it becomes very hard to lose a game that you would have won if you just had more spells. <laughs> you can lose games. Don't get me wrong. You can absolutely lose games. But having a bunch of extra random spells in your hand wouldn't have saved you in those games, right? <laughs> those are the games where they played Evercleave and you're dead. <laughs> so so I've, played, I've played this deck a bunch uh, on Arena. And here, so here are my experiences with this deck. You have some really good matchups. And you don't get to play those matchups because you do one half of your deck or one third of your deck and your opponent concedes, right? You go, you demonstrate that you have Goose Trail of Crumbs going and your opponent's like, I don't want to play Magic anymore. Or, God forbid, you have two trails, you know. Uh, then you face uh, someone and you play Fires and you play something off of Fires and then they concede. Or... Sometimes you just show them a cat and an oven and they, they, they concede. The games where people don't concede are the ones where I'm like, I, I win the fewest. Obviously, obviously you have a 100% win rate when they concede. But I mean, where, where people are just like, oh, okay. I've, I'm playing like, I've lost a bunch to this like mono blue or nearly mono blue. I think it splashes black. Yeah, it does, it does splash black. I think sometimes I've seen some thought erasures. But like basically a Vantress Gargoyle. Drown the Lock, I think, is in that deck. Yeah, yeah. And they have yes, they do, right? They have Drown the Lock, they have like eight hard counters. And they can once they figure out what's going on, they can wait on a real card and It's a solid tier two deck. Yeah. Um I kinda wanna try and build a version of that that doesn't suck. I uh, had the same thought. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm very interested uh, to see what that would look like. Yeah, if, I mean I have built two very wacky decks recently. And I think the next thing to do is just sort of try and rescue some strategies that, you know, aren't necessarily up to snuff and making the best they can be. Probably what, if I was going to do more streaming. What's the other, what's the other wacky deck? Uh, Emery's. Emery's Restaurant. I don't know if you <laughs> remember see that. So this is another, we have the 15. It was a rhetorical for yes. the audience. <laughs> we have the 15, we have the 24. And so Strosky inspired this one. Okay. Which then inspired Strosky to improve his that he calls Pile Number One, which is the original <laughs> one, which needs a better name, but also doesn't. Yeah. Because that name's kind of cool. Yeah, I like that name. So, at this point, it's like Pile Number Seven or something. But, you know, revisions don't count, right? Yeah. So, what I saw out of Strosky was an Emry in play. An Adventurous Gargoyle, I believe. <laughs> and so I just reminded that Emry is a magic card. And it's like, okay, Emery's a magic card. And then... Emery's a messed up magic card. Very much so. I mean, modern players know this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a card that has made its impact felt on constructed magic already. We just haven't seen much of it in Standard. Right, because in Standard, the artifacts are few and far between. Or should I say the artifact cards are few and far between? The artifacts are everywhere because food. <laughs> right. Food is yeah, an artifact. Yeah, yes. So I realized, wait a minute, Emery just costs you. I've got food, and I've got ovens. So can I find some more artifacts to make this work? So the Great Henge is obvious, right? So <laughs> you love the Great Henge. And then I remembered, right, Ventress Gargoyle. So this is already like, you know, two great tastes. They taste great together. So you've got your Ventress Gargoyles, and of course, you've got your Lovestruck Beasts. 
because I've been playing enough of the Great Henge earlier, trying to make it work with the the Grazer Once Upon a Time engine, just power it out. So I know how this works. So you've got Lovestruck Beast, Vengeance Gargoyle. You've got eight ways on turn four to just drop the hammer on a four-mana Great Henge. Jeez. And so now you've got three Great Henges. It's legendary. You don't really want to risk it. Right. It causes you to not be able to actually go off when you cast it if you play four. Right. Too often. So three Great Henges, four Witches' Ovens, four Ventress Gargoyles. That's 11 artifacts. They're all cheap, right, in context. Right. Is that enough? For Emery, when you've got Trail Clums and Goose giving you these artifacts early, so it costs one or two mana. And the answer was yes. It's clearly good enough to make this quite good. Uh, I considered playing Golden Egg which Strasky does use, right. just to have an additional like way to turn Emery into like, wee, extra cards, wee, 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 <laughs> uh, extra food, wee. But I realized that spending mana for cards is not really the deck's main problem. And, and there's actually, the reason it's good enough is because there aren't 11 hits with Emery. With, uh, Emery there are 14. You'd hit a cat. Oh. Because so what if you can't cast it? Right. You put it in your yard. Right. And so, Emery gets you four cards closer to Cat Oven, regardless of how many of those were milled. Right. <laughs> right. The best, the best mill, mill is a cat in an oven. Right. You don't need the fourth cat basically anywhere but, like, Tamur Rack or pure aggro decks where you want to actually use two ovens to block twice. Sure. So, you generally run three cats is the convention that I've adopted, unless you are using, like, Priest of Forgotten Gods or some other, like, pure engine where you just, you know, all cats welcome here. You don't want to just, like, turn into an old cat player. Yeah. Yeah. Cats will eat you when you die. Oh, yeah. It's bad. Yeah. Yes. Want to be careful about how yeah. many cats you have. So, you know, don't be old cat man, man. It's just not good. So. I might already be old cat man. Well. Oh, no. Gotta watch out for that. <laughs> Never too late to change. So, so once we have the Great Henge and Ventress Gargoyle and Emery, I realize, okay, the mana's not great, but what do we do with this black that's important? What if we just lost all the black cards except for cat? We should have three cats. We can support that off of Painlands and nothing else, plus uh, Gilded Goose. And now the mana curve in the deck is much lower because we've got Emery, which costs effectively one mana, like maybe 1.3 mana. And you've got two mana. You've got Venture Scargo, which is a great two drop. Just get your game going. And yeah, it doesn't do anything on turn two necessarily. But if you're being attacked, it does. And if you're not being attacked, it's a seeding the future. It's fine. So now your curve lowers, so 24 land is pretty solid. You don't need the Paradise Druids to fill out your two slot. You can have more action. And then your high end finishes off with Feasting Troll King. So you have more cards you can mill with your Emery. And just more things to combine with. And now with a great henge, two mana. Two mana. Why have I been spending... This, is, this deck is much more up my alley than the Niv deck. I so don't I know believe, why I haven't been playing this. I, I remember... Telling you you should check it out. Yeah. You said this is exactly what I want to be doing with my magic. Yes. And then I never heard from you on it again. I got distracted by Niv. It was like a week before I posted <laughs> Niv. <laughs> yeah. I was too busy trying to grow a beard. It wasn't It wasn't successful. Uh, <laughs> no, so w which of these decks do you like better? Like if you were... would, you, would you, How about this? If you were going to the Mythic Championship 7, uh, would you play either of these decks in the tournament? Let's be honest. No. Okay. Um, because when you're in a mirror matchup, 
in particular, the cards that you're doing with the secondary engine make you have more velocity, but, like, are not going to be as impactful as someone who's running casualties of war and ways to break your thing up. And in general, trying to deploy more power to the board only matters if it's enough. And it's just kind of not enough. Okay. Um, so I can't play Emery. And I tried Niv. And the bottom line, unfortunately, uh, for Niv, is that the deck is just not quite consistent enough. Right, so Niv can't quite reliably do its thing. And if you face a deck that's not cats and not calves, then you have some serious problems with the blind spots being introduced by diverting all of these slots to the secondary engine. And then you have to use your sideboard to kind of get your anti-aggro package back. So the design of the board was where you're being attacked on a different vector where this high end doesn't matter. You take out your high end, you bring in your low end, and either you bring in duress plus some low end or you just bring in a bunch of defensive low end. And that gets you back to a reasonable place, but not as good a place as you'd be if your mana was better and your deck was somewhat better. So I don't think it's quite there. Also, just they're not as developed as they need to be and the deck list deadline is now-ish. <laughs> yes, I think I think it's today. I mean, Crockies was clearly changing his deck like an hour ago. Yeah. So it's clearly not yesterday. Now, the deck lists are going to be posted next Wednesday, right? The, yeah, Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday afternoon, um, leading into the Mythic Championship, which is the following week, that weekend. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to do a preview show again, and we're going to go through all the decks yeah, like I'm, we did. I'm actually happy on reflection that we're not going to get them tomorrow, just because there's been a lot of talk about burnout recently. Yeah. There's been three MCs just in a row. Yeah, it's been... It's brutal, right? Yeah. It's, it's The format changes dramatically. You're playing the standard format that's really grindy, that's really like about these complicated long mirrors that are hard to... To get, a, to get a handle on. Everyone's streaming for a living on top of it. And then you just, you throw tournament after tournament at these MPL members and even the challengers. And it's so brutal on everyone. So if you gave them the deck list tomorrow, they would feel the need to actually test specific matchups. Oh, okay. I was wondering where you were going with that. That makes a ton of sense. Right? You'd be a top eight with a week to, to go. Right? right, just be wanting like, okay, so this is the build that Pantheon submitted. This is the build that these guys submitted. This is the build that Krucky submitted. Let's test these specific matchups, especially if there's a deck they haven't seen before. Right. And the next week would just be more testing. Right. Whereas now, there are so many players, like Brad Nelson, for example, who are just like, I'm so relieved to have just, here's my deck. This is what I'm going to play. I'll get some more reps in, I guess. But <laughs> we will... Just not care until Wednesday afternoon, and then we will focus. Right. But in the meantime, I'm going to take four days. I'm going to eat some turkey. I'm going to watch some football. I'll watch some more football, and I'm going to relax and take a little bit of a breather because there's nothing in that. Right. If I, I was in MC7 yeah. and deck lists were released, I'd be like, no, right. I can spend Thursday with the family. On Friday, you know, I'm, I'm messaging Autumn. I'm messaging Sam, and I'm like, can we play this particular set of, this set of matchups for my deck? Right. Or whoever my team is for this event, right. right? I was very happy in in many ways. Some great teammates. The timing was bad, just because like when I wanted to play Magic and when they wanted to play Magic, just like didn't line up on the schedule. So like we have to figure that out again if we're going to work together again. 
plus just the structure of these tournaments changes so much that like I have no idea how many of us are even going to play or how big a team makes sense. Right. So, and I don't know how I'll ever be invited to another big event. Right. That's worth that level of prep. I can't justify taking weeks off of my time for what are now the events I'm invited to. So, so what are the, the events you're invited to now? Are the players tour regional events? Right. And then those events then feed into the players tour's final events. Yeah, so it's basically all of the work right. to get ready for it to play a qualifier for the event that you were previously I mean, there's still, there's still good prizes and stuff attached it's good. to the regional ones, right? It's, it's not bad. It's right. just not... This, it's more than a qualifier. I play it's for more the than, glory. Yeah, yeah. Right? The EV is always terrible, right? The time you lose is so much more... Right. Right, like... Win- winning that is not the same as winning the finals or winning an old pro tour or... Right, no one's going to count that as a top finish. At least no one should. <laughs> right, like it's not the same thing. Right, and so I can't justify the intense level of prep unless I'm the streamer. The streamers then have the ability to do the prep incidentally, right? Because it's their job. Right. I mean, don't begrudge. It's great, but it puts people like me at a big disadvantage. Uh, at least with the with Richmond, like I could justify. Okay, have this be a good time. This is the this is a big event, marquee. I can I can devote my time. Come with some chance. Right. Still felt at a big disadvantage to people who could afford to just jam Oko mirrors every day. But at least I was in it. Right. And the year back, well, I'm in it vaguely tendentially if I can keep up, but not going to be the same. So unless I get a special invite to an arena qualifier, and we arena pro tour, I spike a qualifier weekend or something happens or I just spike one of the regionals by accident. You know, I probably won't be able to be as in tune as I was in Richmond, and it didn't quite work out for Richmond. Right. But I think that was somewhat variance. I think I deserved something closer to 10 and 6 or 9 and 7. Right. I don't think I deserved a top 8. I, don't, I think that, like, clearly the people who knew the Oko Mirror inside and out were the people who deserved to win, and right. justice was served. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did you, uh, did you watch any of the top 8 from Mythic Championship 6? Absolutely. What, what, what did you, I mean, it, it, Watching it, I felt like I was watching Magic being played. As much as distaste as you had for Oko and that whole package of cards at that point in time in Standard, the gameplay that we got to watch yeah, while it's still was av- phenomenal. While it's still available, if you can find it, I don't remember which day it was, but you can go back and watch Strasky's analysis of the top, of the top eight matches where he goes through his matches and he talks about each individual play on the stream later. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's invaluable to it's watch. pure gold. Yeah, if you're, if you're looking to get better as a Magic player, that's exactly the Yeah, the, the, details, the details don't matter anymore, obviously. It's a dead format. But if you want to understand how people think, like, you should be watching that. Um, like, I, I, I learned a lot about Krucky's process this morning watching him talk about his ins and outs and figure things out in real time. And then he started to play a match, and I'm like, I want to watch someone else on the street. I've watched this deck enough. But when I was watching you talk about your thing and think about your thing, that I wanted to see. Let me, let me ask you a question. Where, where do you have Paula? Like, all time. Like, what, what's your... What's your I, I, have, I, have, I, I, I think it is John Kai Paula at this point. Yeah, like, I call it three. Yeah. Um, but, like, I think Paula has the potential... 
you never, no one's going to ever win the number of Pro Choice Kai won, right? That's just, I mean, not possible, right? <laughs> At this point, uh, just the nature of what those are has changed so much. I, I, I don't, I don't think anyone will. I think it's like, you know, back to back no hitters or, you know, uh, four hundred wins for a major league pitcher. I think it's just impossible. I still the got game. it too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I mean, Paulo has the opportunity. I mean, he, he has never, other than maybe like one span of like, you know, not even 12 months. I mean, it's just never. Paulo's tournament report like, was entitled Still Hungry. Yeah. It was quite good. Yeah. And that's what needs to happen for him, right? He needs to be still hungry. He needs to not burn out and be able to just. Want it, keep wanting it for long enough. Look, at some point, obviously, if, you know, we're talking another 25 years and Magic is getting to his 50th anniversary and he's been playing this whole time. And he's got 27 top eights. We're going to have to give him the GOAT <laughs> at some point if, I, if he keeps it up. I, I, think he's, I think he's very close to the GOAT. I think, you know, I, I, I love John. I, I love Kai. I, I have tremendous respect for them. But, like, the consistency with which Paulo's been excellent is unmatched in the game. Yeah, I think John, if he wanted it, even today... But that, and, but that's part of it, right? But yeah, it doesn't count if you're not there, <laughs> right? Right. So... Yeah, I mean, people, people always talk about Bob, right, as being one of the greatest players of all time. Uh, and the problem with Bob is just that Bob was as good as... When Bob cared. Right. Bob would show up at tournaments and go, someone give me a deck. And I don't mean someone tell me what list to play. I mean someone physically hand me cards. <laughs> and I'll play them because yeah. I couldn't be bothered to right. figure out what to do and assemble them. Right. Bob, Bob is preternaturally talented. Uh, but I don't, I don't think Bob is any longer in that top three discussion because you just see that the, the combination of talent and dedication and... Uh, longevity and, and all these other factors. And Bob, Bob never had the numbers that Kai or John did. So yeah. it was never going to be in that discussion yeah. anywhere near as long as they yeah. were. And, you know. and I think Nassif had passed him at some point as well. In terms yeah, of, I think Nassif is clearly ahead of Bob. And, by a lot and, and at Luis at this point as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. I mean, those are probably your top five, I think. Yeah. We're missing someone. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, again, a lot of people will put some other people in the top five, but at some point the results have to matter and the longevity has to matter. Uh, you know, and, and not the potential. Yeah, potential isn't enough. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of choices for who you think might be the next person. Uh, Crookies is showing me more potential to be like one of the goats than I've seen from anyone in a long time, from a new player. Uh, it's only been a year, which is one of the reasons why it's so, so good. That's, that's crazy. I mean, we'll see. He'll, he'll yeah. have to... Buckle down. He'll have to keep working hard for a long time. He'll have to learn a lot of new aspects to the game that he doesn't know yet because they're new to him. Um, you know, but I think the talent's there. Yeah. Uh, circling back to Paul, there's one thing I just... I, I There was a moment at the end of the tournament that really struck me, and I, I talked about it, I think, on the Good Luck High Five podcast, but it's it was really kind of like a a great little pivot that I saw Apollo do. 
So at the end of the event, he, uh, you know, Andre wins. Paulo sort of slumps a little, you know, like, okay, you got this. You know, they extend the hand. Andre's jubilant, right? His teammates come over and they're all congratulating him. And then Paulo, who is also Andre's teammate, <laughs> you know, you see, you see Paulo sort of pivot from, like, just walk away from the agony of defeat. Just kind of be like, oh, okay, I've lost, but my teammate has won. And he gets up and he kind of like circles around almost the long way to get to Andre. And by the time he gets to Andre, he's just like, oh my God, you won the Pro Tour. Like, <laughs> oh my God. And he's hugging and there's this great, it's just this great embrace of, and it's um, all the human stuff, all that uh, expectation and, and joy for your friends and your teammates that gets kind of like tamped down over the course of a tournament, <laughs> you know, because you can't go there while you're playing. Yeah. I was just, I, I just thought it was a really beautiful moment. I, and I was I, super I really impressed he could it turn out. it on on a dime. Like I've, <laughs> I've been very happy that I'm able to do that with like one or two days notice, right? <laughs> We're like, okay, yeah, I got knocked out yesterday. <laughs> And he's in top, my friend's in top eight. Yay! Or, you know, yeah, okay, I finished 32nd, and then, oh my God, Tom won! Yay! You know, Sam Steck won! Yay! It's all great. And it's tough, right? Like, you're, right. At, you're at that dinner, right? Back, I remember back in Houston, my teammates went one, two, three, with three different decks. One of the great team finishes yeah. in the history of the Pro Tour. Talking about Pro Tour Houston with Team YMG. Right, I'm sitting there you know, toasting and congratulating them and feeling really happy about it. But the back of my mind is still like, I played the same 75 as Justin and I didn't even make day two. <laughs> you know, variance is a pitch, basically. Right. But like... That was the Cognivore deck, the Oath deck? Yeah, I, we built the deck together, the three of us that played it, and I just... You know, I think he played it better than I did, but mostly, you know, didn't break right for me. I didn't quite make it. Yeah, you know, I... It was tougher back then because yeah. you had to actually have a winning record. That was, that was my first... Uh, direct interaction with Justin. I had known him, but I was doing coverage at that event and I was just like, and he reminded me, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the, the movie Bull Durham, but like, just like he played the game with the arrogance that Bull Durham talks about. Like not, not, but just like this confidence, like he knew he was going to win that tournament. It felt like the whole time. Yeah. You know, he was, you know, we talk about that idea of tamping things down. Justin didn't have anything tamped down at that event. No, I was his teammate. I, I tested directly with him and I was his teammate and friend for a very long time. <laughs> We've lost touch, but like he's still a great, yeah. you know. He looked at every tournament. <laughs> <laughs> he just won this one. <laughs> yeah, well, that was, that, was my that was my first real experience with Justin. I, re I remember that pretty. And, and, pretty and I get his newsletters now as a game designer. Yeah. And it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life, life's been pretty good to Justin. He 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 de he deserves a little bit of arrogance. So it's uh it's it's been pretty good to him. So so let let's circle back to the Mythic Championship. What would you be playing next? I mean, just to circle, before I circle back to that, just to finish up with the Mythic Six. Oh yeah, I, I strongly agree with your point that when you watch the matches, I loved watching the coverage when right. I got home. Yeah, I hated playing right in that event. <laughs> I dropped out from the Grand Prix when 
I think I could have three would into money because it was so small. Where it's like, I could miss day two and still win money. Right. Oh, my God. And I couldn't stay for day two with two losses. I knew that. But I could, like, win the restaurant matches that day and then drop and then win, like, $250. And I was just like, I don't want to play Magic anymore in this <laughs> format. And I, was, you know, I, I, I would have still played a mystery booster, but I think they were out at that point. Or, like, oh, wow. it sort of was just too late. And so I just, I'm just going to go back to the hotel room and get my flight tomorrow. You know, I just can't anymore. I was just so miserable playing all these matches. But watching the matches, when you don't have to do the operations, you can think about all these complex details. It's fascinating. You know, as a player who likes the details, likes the strategic questions, because once people have built their decks to be able to handle the mirror, yes, some games become snowballs, but the figuring how to make how to you know, play for the snowball, play against the snowball, play for the small number of outs you have, play on different aspects. You know, I'm trying to win this way, you're trying to win that way. I have this engine, you have that engine. I mean, one of the things I loved about the top eight is to, to riff off your phrase is I would say that there were some great snowball fights where one player would just come out to some just seemingly insurmountable lead early in a game and then... You know, Paul, I thought Paulo was masterful multiple times where he was just in this terrible situation between some combination of mulligans and early starts by his opponents and just by just being as economical as possible in every single opportunity um, to claw his way back and then to get the snowball advantage. And uh, it, it, it was really fascinating to watch. I think, I think it was some of the best... For, for what I would consider to be a bad format, some of the best gameplay I've ever seen in the top eight of a Pro Tour. Yeah, and it was for that specialized audience. <laughs> Amazing. Right. In its own way. And I think part of that is just when you build professional-level decks to beat other professional-level decks played by professional-level players, any effort spent on win more you don't need is effort wasted. The decks are all built to catch up, to be efficient, to fight, to deal with adversity, and they're not built the same way to reliably put you away from 90% to 100%, because that's not as important when the math comes down to it. So you have these decks that have exactly enough high end, exactly enough push to get you there. And so they leave you this little opening, right? They, they intentionally don't reliably close you out there because they'd rather stop someone else from closing them out and get more percentages that way, right? So like Paul always build like just run for a bracing, bracing borrower, right? Like just have a bunch of efficient ways to just break up the best things, right? Rather than ways to snowball more. And then with Veil, the top cards get even worse. And so the wild swings get even worse in some ways get even wilder, right? You can no longer just swing a giant haymaker at the opponent the same way. But it also means, you know, your trick might not work, right? You can just get this extra, this is other, also so many different ways to get advantage. And it's not obvious which ones beat which ones. Uh, so, yeah, no, it was, in some ways I was sad to see that format go. Obviously, in other ways, it's much more pioneer. important. <laughs> if you don't like the weather, 
<laughs> Wait a week. Uh, that's Pioneer. There's been a lot of bands lately. Yeah. Uh, did you see the uh, the video? Uh, no. So LSV tweeted a video uh, listing all of the bands set to Taylor Swift's I Forgot That You Existed. <laughs> and it was amazing. <laughs> that's great. I don't know who made it. But yeah. Yeah. You know, credit to whoever. I just don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so one of, one of the big things, you know, so going into Mythic 7 now, Casualties of War seems to be enemy number one. And it's a card that was just not really viable in Mythic Championship 6. I mean, it just, it was there. I, I, it was People there. played it, but it was really hard to justify in a field full of Vale of Summers, right? Yes. Basically, you, you almost want to board it out. Against the decks where it would hit a lot of things and you'd be really happy with it because of Ale of Summer. Some people had it in their board. Some people had it in their main and boarded it out. It was like this card that's... So I talked to several people who basically gave me different versions, like Brad Nelson, who gave me versions of, I have no idea which high card, which six drops are better. Different situations, different ones win the game. I'm constantly seeing people win games they could not have won or stay in games they couldn't have stayed in because they had exactly the right one. Or lose because they had the wrong one. But it's in the different ones every time. I have no idea. Right? It's just totally unclear what the better ones are. But now, Casualties of War is the king. Right. Right? Of the six drops. Like, I see people who play Liliana, Garrick, Feasting Troll King has been a bunch of my builds because I couldn't support Double Black or I just was legitimately playing for graveyard interactions or right. other things. But in terms of just purely winning battles that's Casualties of War, Jeskai is everywhere now and Casualties of War is, a, is the only six drop against them that actually matters. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right? I mean, Liliana can get them, but like, Casualties can get the Fires and the Cavalier and actually win the game. And in the mirror, you can hit the trail crumbs and the witch's oven and the castle and the creature. Yep, I've done that a few times. It's great. <laughs> yeah. The number of games where, you know, like the, I, think, I think I built, I built a version of Jund with four casualties of war. Because Jund gets you Mayhem Devil, but why am I not just running the good deck anyway, right? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> no, no, the first game I played with Niv, I played against the cat deck. They play second turn. They play like second turn trial crumbs. Play the paradise druid. They play the witch's oven and a cat. Play the paradise druid. They sacked along the trail and played a creature. And then I put casualties of war on turn four. And then I won. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is a powerful, powerful magic card. How do you fight it? Like, how do you... That has to be a card that's on your mind. Yes. As, as a card you need to either defeat or dodge somehow. Like, how do you manage your game against Casualties of War? So, deck selection is obviously a thing you can do. Uh, as a Jeskai player, you do not just throw away second fires out of habit until you have enough mana that you're okay with it dying including when a land of yours has been lost. Right. Because you know this is a risk. In the mirror, it's basically just going to suck for you. Um, do you consider that, like, you can't just say, I'll, I'll use this Trail of Crumbs later, necessarily? 
Brontodon's also becoming a thing, so you have to worry that it's going to not be around. But a lot of other decks, I think, should be thinking more about, well, I shouldn't be playing Sorcerer's Spyglass. I shouldn't be playing this random value Planeswalker. Because they might just die by accident. Right. For no value. Just collateral damage. If four casualties of war is the right thing to do against you anyway, without this value card, don't do it. So, like, if I was going to register Cavaliers right now, I would seriously consider just registering the zero spyglasses. Right. Because it's pretty disenchant in that slot. That would actually work. If you wanted to do that and have other utility... Or just put more like another devout decree and another Aethergust in that slot. If, if you were somehow, and I'm not saying you would, but like if you were working on Elkblade right now, you would probably cut the Royal Scions as a just like incidental planeswalker that was in the deck that was sometimes sided out, some, you know, because it just might get hit by casualties. I think that deck in particular would not care on the theory <laughs> that. My goal is to have the game over with before you get to sex, right? That deck is a very aggressive deployment deck. So I'm going to run my Domries and my Royal Scions and my whatevers. And if you four for one me, good for you. So let me, let me, is this, is this an Embercleave format? Like for Mythic Championship 7? Boy, it seems like that's the card that, if that's the plan, right? If that works getting under casualties and like ending the game is there is there a deck that's reliably able to well you certainly can't once upon a time for goose and grazer anymore right so you have to do something else that deck doesn't work about once upon a time right i didn't even consider trying to survive that well you know yeah i understand the goose but like yeah yeah. you you do have like redundant two and three drops that you can play that you you know and but you you don't get the so there are two serious embercleave attempts there's also the attempt to splash it in red-blue, which I don't think is necessarily a crazy card choice, but it doesn't really change the deck very much. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> the two reasonable choices are Gruul Aggro and Rectos Knights. Potentially Mardu Knights, you know, but same deck anyway. Yeah, So yeah. we're not going to even worry about it. I think Rectos is probably the, the better build, just cleaner. Yeah. Uh, so Rectos Knights... Generally plays... Reg- so if you play Registaur... Then you expose yourself to getting ready to sort catted. So, like, try to attack on the ground through cats, through a bunch of wicked wolves and mayhem devils that can pick off your one, two toughness creatures. Just in general, like, you've got the new version of Oko, right? The new, the new thing that is incredibly painful to try and get through. Masker Girl is a one sided, is, you know, a raft that leaves behind a 4 4, right. where the game basically ends afterwards. Casualties kills Embercleave. So it's actually a good card against you. It's not great, but it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, a lot of the reason you play Embercleave decks is they wipe your board, but you still have your Embercleave, and you just equip your Embercleave to something, and you win. And now they actually have a rule for the Embercleave. If they play Brontodon, that's a nightmare for you, because a main oh. deck Brontodon, right? Because now, like, they put the Brontodon out and say go, and now if they play the Embercleave, it's like, okay, kill it before combat <laughs> right. damage is dealt. You can't do this. You lose. So it's a pretty shaky ground to be on. Uh, but the deck has some power, so that deck like definitely is at least like tier one and a half ish. Like I think it's just not. It's the kind of deck that like if you wanted to ladder quickly to mythic, would be a reasonable choice. Right. Uh, but I would not register it in the MC. I think it's weak to Jeskai. Um, you can build it to be somewhat more resilient. Right. But 
certainly if Jeskai cares enough. The other issue is Jeskai is having to play more two-mana removal spells in order to deal with Shifting Ceratops in particular, which is pushing it towards Justice Strike and Lava Coil. And I think and it, is that pushing it away from Deafening Clarion? Oh, no. Oh, okay. No, no, no. In addition to, like at least okay. access to. The problem being that if Jeskai has access to like one or two Justice Strikes to go with Bonecrusher Giant, to go with, you know, Devout Decree and Aethergost into its Clarion and then it has like a Solar Blaze to go with its Time Wipe or its Runcloak Giant or something like that. It's just a nightmare matchup for a deck like Rakdos Knights. And that's going to be the second most deck after some version of Cats, if you group Cats together. Right. And the Cats deck has Cats, and Massacre <laughs> Girls, and Wicked Wolves, and Murderous Riders, and Natural Artifact Removal. Um, and just in general, that deck has always seemed like a kind of paper, t- kind of a uh, glass cannon. Sure. The Rakdos deck. Powerful one, but I don't think it's quite good enough. The Gruul deck, I saw Martin Juzid take Gruul to number one. Okay. Uh, at least briefly. And I think Martin built it correctly, uh, except for some arguments over Fable Passage. I think Frank Karsten probably yelled at him about number of sources for Embercleave, and he took it a little bit too much to heart, <laughs> is my guess. <laughs> I know Frank's in his chatter reasonably often. Yeah. Uh, but, so his build is Pelt Collector and Innkeeper. Oh, wow. And I thought, the moment I saw Innkeeper, I was like, okay, that's an idea, but you can't cut Pelt Collector. What are you, insane? And then... Nobody could quite make the numbers work, and then he just did the obvious, and I was like, yes, of course that's the right build. <laughs> so it's 24 lands, and four, all four ups. So your ones are the two, the two one ones. Your two drops are Paradise Road or Mark Knight. Your three drops are the eight adventure creatures, Bone Crusher Giant and Love Struck Beast, plus Gruel Spellbreaker, Questing Beast, and Burkleaf. And that's your deck. That's it. I am Haste, or I am Adventure, or I am Dancer. And that's it, right? You know, and some, and so it's a very, very clean, very aggro deck that, like, poses problems for people. And I'd be surprised that wasn't within like two cards of the right build. Like maybe you want some ambushes or something somewhere or whatever, and then you can board Shieldbreaker against Witch's Oven. I, I like the Shieldbreaker, though. That sounds yeah. nice. Yeah. And Ceratops against Jeskai. So those are both very strong sideboard cards that I think have to be there. And then the rest of your board can be card... You know, you have Dombrey's Ambushes for creature battles and generally, like, the last few slots are negotiable. I forget what his last sideboard card was. Right, give me give me your, your prediction for this for Mythic Championship 7 in terms of the metagame. We'll see next week when we do the preview podcast how it plays out, but what are you expecting to be number one? Cats. Number two? Jessica, I mean, Cats is, might be one and two, depending on how you sure. pick it up. Sure, I think... I'll allow for a... Yeah. For a, for I think a, we're going to see... We're going to see a bunch of Golgari and a bunch of Jund. I think Golgari will probably... I think Golgari should outnumber Jund, just based on what's actually good. But... I, I think we'll see a mix. Jund has been doing well in, like, all the incidental run-ups. And people see it a lot on the ladder. And a lot of people are preparing due to short time mostly on the latter. So I think we'll see those two. If I had to guess, we're talking about 30, 35% of the field, something like a third. Um, 
Like, I don't think this is a degenerate situation. I think lots of people can do whatever they want, but I think it's going to be a, a strong number one. Jess Guy should be number two pretty easily. I'm guessing something in the neighborhood of 15 to 20%. Okay. Um, watch me be wildly wrong, but, you know, yeah, no, pretty good out that's there, That's the right? whole point, right, yeah. Right, right. I think Jess Guy will mostly stick very close to the Sphinx build. Cool. Um... There are going to be some. There's going to be someone who shows up with a bunch of fate of wishes, right? A handful of people who do that. Um, there will probably be at least one other fires deck that isn't Jeskai. Okay. Like we're talking a copy or two. I think that the Grixis Jeskai deck, the Grixis fires deck, is bad. Okay. Um, it just it doesn't do the same job. It's just not reliable at all. Um, I think those are the two most important decks. Um, if I had to pick a number three right now, based on this what, is what I'm most interested in, based on what I've seen from the pros, my curveball pick is red blue temp, red blue flash. Okay. I think that this deck speaks to good magic players in a way that gets it played. So I think that the, the version that was played in Twitch Rivals before Gadwick's that was built just around abusing Gadwick was a substantial improvement on previous builds that I had played against. I didn't see Gadwick played very often at all previously. I thought that deck was terrible. I think it went from terrible to okay. I think we're talking about maybe 10% of the field here. Okay. Um, like, you know, so we're talking about six players, maybe seven players, if I had to guess. But I think before Gadwick's, it now has the ability to let you just maneuver around a game, around what your opponent is doing very powerfully. It is a deck that plays far beyond the power level of its cards and the power level of the things that it does in the game. And it can just bury you if you are not careful. So that would be my pick for number three. And I think that it will do okay. right? I think that it will probably... I don't know if it can truly hang with the, the big boys, but I think it's like got reasonable matchups against both of the top decks. Like not great, but not terrible. And then can beat up on undisciplined decks or decks that try to do weird things to win mirrors. You know, I'm going to play Niv-Mizzets. Like, okay, you're in a lot of trouble, dude. It's like, yeah, okay, that's fair. Um, so beyond... I've been paired up against Vimashu with Superfan125. Excellent. Strusky's not qualified. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems like a weird oversight given you have like streamer and special invites, but yeah. You know, yeah. It's it's Yeah. That need not happen again, right? Yeah, yeah. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah, but I mean, he's but he's got his slot for worlds. So. Yeah, I mean he's a great streamer and great success. Yeah. Right? You you should get him in there, right? Yeah. But um so beyond that, um I think we'll see some gruel. I think that there's well, Javier is qualified, right? <laughs> yeah, but Javier's good. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I think that we're, again, like, think about the challengers, right? Especially the challengers who are streamers, who know that they are, like, overmatched in some important sense, right? This is not their forte. They do not want to be getting into these offensive cat mirrors. Uh, one thing about the cats that, if I'm wrong about the number of cat decks, I think... A lot of that might be that there's so much operational concern with being timed out and not being able to function properly, just not being able to handle the pressure of all these clicks, that a bunch of players just retreat to something they know better. 
Right. And that would not surprise... That would be the reason why Jessica ends up at number I one. Mean, the, the concern I have about the cat decks is that it just becomes like an FPS, right? It's just like a fat... It's just like who can click through the, the quickest. Uh, you know, I, I have some concerns there. I think it's only in mirrors. Sure, uh, yes, but, you know... If yeah, specifically green-black mirrors, where it's a serious concern as opposed to a side concern. But, yeah, a lot of players just really don't want that to happen to them. And I think that's something people worry about a lot. So... After that, I think we'll see some Gruel pickery from the Challengers. I think we'll see some Tremor Reclamation simply because there are some players who can't let go. <laughs> and it's the kind of thing that just really, really appeals to some people. I have seen more... It, it looked good when I was watching it during some of the Twitch rivals in the Swiss, but then it didn't do anything. The games where it doesn't look good, it just dies. Right. Very quickly, and it's not on camera. It looks much better <laughs> when you see it than when you don't. It's one of those... The, the games, when they're curating the games that they show, you're saying... Well, they, they pick ones that are still going, right? Yeah. They have no choice. <laughs> the same way that, like, when you when you play, against the, you play against cats less than you should on the ladder, especially, like, the grindy cat decks, because they take so long to finish their games. So they don't care as often. That's funny. Right? So you play them half as often, because they take twice as long. Right. Um, it's a serious problem for balance, in terms of your testing. Right? right. You have to try and balance that. I think Golgari Adventures... Might be number th- might not be number three. It's probably number four or five, um, just because it's just a solid set of magic cards. It's the kind of thing that really again appeals to a bunch of pros like playing that kind of style. Uh, I think it's underpowered. I think it's a mistake. Um, I think Reed was testing it a bunch. I think he's probably going to run it. And someone asked if Reed was going to play Oven, and Reed said no. I, I was referring to the Black Green Adventure deck. I've also played Oven, and my thought was no. Reed can't play Oven. Because Oven gets you too much card advantage, right? <laughs> Reed is fundamentally opposed to drawing two more cards than you need to win the game. And even one, is pushing it. And, and the Cat decks just draw seven more cards than they need. So he'll play Cat Oven, but like in black, right? Where it <laughs> is just barely good enough. And you're trying to hit their life total, and that, that makes sense to him, right? He, if you're going to play Green Buck, you play Adventures, where you sort of, yeah, you can sort of, you can sort of snowball, but mostly you're just doing... Exactly enough to get ahead of your opponent and then just pushing it through and, and playing a very Reed-style incremental advantage game. Um, I do expect Adventures to underperform. Okay. I think Red Blue will do okay. Uh, I think the, you know, the aggro decks are probably in a bad spot. So you don't, you don't think like the mono-red like, decks have any, have any shot here? Like, so, I mean, some of them innovate. Right. Like, I, I saw Lee Chi Tian made Day 2 of Twitch Rivals with mono-white. It looks like the biggest pile you've ever seen. <laughs> it really seen. did. Hot garbage. <laughs> it really did look I have no wild. idea. <laughs> and, and I have no idea. But we went 5-1 with that, right? Like, somehow. And, and, and you could just say, well, Lee's really good at magic. But also, it feels like Lee is taking the, the skill game out of his own hands to some extent by playing that. Because, like, I think there's only one line for most games with that deck. Right. Right? Like, you can optimize exactly how to deploy your cart reachers, but... I really don't think there's that many choices with that deck, so I don't understand what happened. I mean, Lee's comment was it was a good set of matchups on day one and then bad, bad matchup on day two when he lost, but I don't know what the good matchups are. Right. Um, to a couple cards. So, I mean, Mon- Mono Red is not a deck we've seen much uh, since maybe the previous Arena Championship. Right? It's, like, it's playable. You can do it. But it has... But here, here's the cards that I'm really curious about because we talked about casualties of of war being unlocked by Val of Summer. Um, 
where are the misses and the hydrate crises that, you know, should be doing their victory lap from a pro tour? They lost their once upon a times. It's a big problem. Yeah. And their Okos, right? Like, but most of their once upon a times because there were decks that didn't do that. So they're in a Risen Reef Simic deck now. <laughs> that is tier two. Okay. Uh, the deck doesn't reliably do its thing enough. I tried to... I, I, I have kind of a weird Island of Dr. Moreau like <laughs> lab for cat decks right now. And I tried that one and it didn't work. Fish cat. Catfish, wait. Elemental cat. Yeah. Yeah. Cats are an elemental type, right? Yeah. Oh the yeah. element of cat. And, yeah. and no. No, they're no. not. Don't, don't do it. It just doesn't do the... It doesn't relevantly... I figured like, well, now you're going to play Cavalier of Thorns. It's going to mill five cards. And now you're going to find your cat. <laughs> and then they're going to kill it. And you're going to bring your trail crumbs back. Right? And then like, it's all going to be great. And it's like, no. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not actually relevant to Magic Card. Right. Winning right. games. Like, just don't do that. Yeah. Save it for the streams, V. Well, <laughs> I, I, my procedure is I try to win a constructed event with a deck before I post it or stream it. At this point, it's my procedure to sort of confirm that it's at least got some stuff going on. Right. It's doing something interesting. And part of that is like, when you play a deck on a ladder and you lose a bunch of matches, suddenly you're a percentage gamer. And then you have to do this play just guy for rank recovery, period, <laughs> so that you play real opponents again. Because, like, the last stream I was, I was on, I was playing the Niv-Mizzet deck, and it wasn't going well. Right, because I was playing against real opponents at Mythic, I got driven down to percentage gamer status, and I was playing against this opponent who's 77%. And you wonder how these people got to Mythic. Let's just put it that way. Right? Both their decks and their plays. Like, this person does not have the wild cards. Right? Like, it's not their fault. Like, they just clearly don't have the cards. They're playing clearly just cards you would never choose if you had access to other cards. Right. And they're making very questionable play decisions. And it's like, well, I guess grinding does work sometimes. Rank, rank recovery is a great concept. Yeah, I mean, Crocky's <laughs> at the end of uh, last month had it, what, what he called an emergency rank recovery stream on the last day. Because he randomly became a percentage gamer with a day to go. <laughs> I need to make sure you made the MCQW. I, I like I like rank <laughs> recovery a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. And it should. I mean, when you choose your deck for rank recovery, that should also tell you a little bit about something about maybe what you should be playing when the stakes are high, right? Like yes I, I, and no, right? Like before the MC in Richmond, I couldn't lose on the ladder with Jessica. Right. I think I peaked at number twenty. Yeah. And, like, it was just reliably just winning match after match after match. I was just crushing it. Even the Oko players I was beating. Because they weren't playing properly. They didn't know how to mulligan. Right. They didn't know what mattered. They didn't know how to sideboard probably the right cards out to bring in the, the massive amounts of hate. Or they didn't have the massive amounts of hate. But I knew it wasn't real. So I knew I was, like, kind of playing the wrong deck. But I also knew that I didn't have the logistical support behind me to get ready to play the right deck. And so I just hoped it was good enough. I was like, well, game one's good. And my matchup against the rest of the field is really good. So if 30% of the field is good matchups and the other 60, the other 70% is good game one, how bad can it be? Right. I mean, you can have a bad draft. <laughs> yeah. That could be it. But, yeah. you know, you can try. So yeah, I, I think it'll be a a not great metagame 
but we're still early enough and enough pros are trying to do their own thing. I think we'll see some blood control. I think we'll see some Esper control. Uh, probably not much Doom. I think people have realized that Doom is not the right way to go. Right. I have some ideas for how to make the deck better, but again, I think it's just never been quite there with consistency. I think it's always been a tier two deck that's just sort of good players who get there with a good build before other people get good builds can shine. Right. Uh, red, I think we'll probably see like two copies. It was, it was basically the first Doom deck in the format, the Doom the Doom Foretold decks. Yeah. And those decks can often do well briefly and then like stay on too long. Like I kept, I kept getting the globe out of that deck and nobody's picked up on it. Right. But I'm still convinced that like playing more than two copies of that card is, is just wrong. Right. Right. Um, so I think, I think that it'll look okay from a deck diversity perspective, but like it'd be surprising if a feature match doesn't go to time. Okay. Like to clock time for blowing someone's head up, not like to, like that's much worse than like five extra turns, right? Like right. someone actually losing. L- losing to chess clock is what you're saying. And I think there is a greater than 50-50 chance that it will not be this person's fault in the sense of this person was playing at a pace that is not normally acceptable. Right. It'll be this person was slower than their opponent and this game went that long. Right. And someone was going to lose this way. Wow. That'll be interesting to see. We, we haven't really seen that. We saw it a little bit at the Mythic Invitational, but it was artificially um, enforced. You know what I mean? It wasn't enforced by the game. We didn't see people up, but, but actually seeing people blow up. Yeah, we'll always see games, matches go to time. Yes. And then extra turns. Right, because then... there's no clock on people. Yeah. And Magic naturally, in slow matchups, takes more than 15 minutes to complete. If you're playing properly, have high stakes, can you really tell players, no, you should both spontaneously cooperate and speed up the match rather than actually think through things? It's really hard. Yeah. Uh, when I was younger, it was easier. I have two draws on my record in my comeback that were unintentional. And I don't feel bad about either of them in terms of just like, I don't think either of us was playing slowly. I don't blame my opponent. I don't blame myself. Right. That much. Um, like the one at Richmond was just, yeah, this just took forever. We did all these operations and then eventually he couldn't quite kill me in time. Right. And the other one was at a Grand Prix Portland and like we were just taking for three minutes every turn because like the game was just, it was one of these, you know, swings back and forth in modern. It's just so like ridiculously complex. I, I can tell you we're going to run to time here because we got to get ready for a conference call. And a I, I, I have been keeping an eye on that. <laughs> Um, but uh, just quickly before we go, you know, you've been streaming. Tell people where they can find your stream if they want to follow you on random Tuesdays and Thursdays where you might be streaming. My stream is Svimashowitz, um, twitch.tv dash uh, I try to tweet when I do that. So I'm, I'm the ZVI on Twitter. So that's where I post my deck lists. Yeah, that's- there's been a lot of really good deck lists on that Twitter account if you are not following it. Uh, and then also you've been uh, you've been doing a little writing again. Yeah. Not on your blog. I have an article. I have my, my blog, which is, you know, it's speed.wordpress.com. But I also, there's a link post up there to a blog, Cool Stuff Inc. Yeah. So Cool Stuff is a great store, particularly for board games. I've got my board games there for years. And Evan Irwin there has been a friend for a while. The Magic Show. Oh, yeah. Magic offer, Mike's. Offered to put up my article on Cavaliers. So it's hosted there. And I hope to... Uh, to write more. Right. Eventually your your long cat's post might end up there. Yeah. We have to see how the... 
mean, I haven't checked in with Evan to see how it did and whether or not we can make the money, the money side of it work. Because, uh, like, everyone's been hit hard by what's happening to Standard. So, like, the demand for content, the ability to support content is tough. So, it's a rough time to be trying to get back into writing. So, but I mean, look, if something will be posted within a week to my personal blog or to Cool Stuff, one way or another. Okay. It's already, like, 5,000 words long. Ooh, and it's I, not done. So it's going to get posted. I can't wait. So, yeah. I mean, we're just not going to do... It's not, it's just, we're not going to split it up like my fires anymore, right? We're just going <laughs> to post this giant thing, and it's going to be I, I did. I did link to your uh, Cavaliers article as my fires part eight. I, I believe my email to Evan was, whether to call this my fires part eight is negotiable. <laughs> Chose right. not to, but I considered it. Speaking of eight, you can always find me at Top8Games on Twitter. Uh, not streaming yet, but who knows? That might change as well in the coming months. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Top 8 Magic. We'll be back next week. Uh, we'll have the whole team, and we're going to do a little preview show for Mythic Championship 7. We're going to go over all the deck lists uh, like we've been doing for the last couple of events. So hope you enjoy it, and talk to you soon. Bye.